Father God, um, you are a gracious and, and kind and wonderful God, and we uh, wouldn't know you if you hadn't made yourself known. Uh, but you have wonderfully and graciously through um, through your word, through the prophets and apostles. Uh, thank you that we can read it now, and and, and we pray that um, you would work um, what you you intend through your word to us today. Thank you that your word is life changing, life transforming, and that you work powerfully through it. Uh, so open, uh, soften our hearts uh, by your spirit and speak to us uh, at the deep, deepest level of our minds and our being um, and really change us for your glory. Amen. Thanks, Jill. Galatians chapter 4, starting at verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. Uh, The son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but the son of the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia, and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren women, you never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labour, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. But what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave's woman The slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance of the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough, I am confident in the Lord 
that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Thanks, Jill. What an ending to that reading, hey? Um, yeah, we'll get to that. It shows how worked up Paul is here and how significant some of the issues we're going to look at are. Um, it is great to be back um, sharing God's word with you uh, after my extended break. Uh, we do need God's help, though, so I'm going to pray again. We pray together. Our Father, uh, you give us life and breath in all things. We depend on you. Uh, you give us new life through the life-giving gospel of your Son. We thank you that you have brought us into, into that life, not by anything we have done, but only by faith in him, in what he has done for us. We thank you for that truth. Let it sink into us deeper today and transform us uh, more fully for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, it's a, it's a, it is a complex little passage, especially the end of chapter 4 there. Uh, we're, we're not going to be able to um, cover all the issues that will come up for us in that passage. But there is a thread that runs through the whole passage that we just read. It's a thread that goes through all of Galatians, uh, but it really gets kind of focused in on here in these verses. It's the thread of freedom. Freedom runs through the whole passage. We love freedom, don't we? The whole idea of freedom grips us. We love living in a free country. Um, but I wonder if you took a pop quiz of the people down the street uh, and asked them what their first impression of Christianity is, the first sort of thing that comes to their mind, I wonder what they would say. Uh, you'd probably hear a, a bit of confusion, some indifference, something that their grandparents were into, uh, some, something maybe just a bit boring and irrelevant, or maybe uh, others, I suspect, would probably be more hostile um, for numbers of people, Christianity is linked with oppression, with abuse of the weak, with hierarchies enslaving those underneath them, the opiate of the masses, anything but freedom. Um, but if you ask the Apostle Paul, right at the centre of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be brought into this reality of what Jesus has done, right at the heart of Christianity is freedom. Complete, liberating, joy-giving freedom. That's what Paul says in what's a key verse for the whole letter, really at the heart of our passage, the verse that we'll um, really start and focus on today, if, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Christ has set us free. That simple statement is right at the heart of the gospel, right at the heart the great news that Jesus, of Jesus that had gripped Paul and turned his world upside down and that has come to us through his testimony and the testimony of the other, other apostles that we have in the scriptures. That's, that simple statement is right at the heart of it. But you notice how Paul puts it there? Christ has set us free. See how he puts it in the past? This freedom is something that is in the past that's already been won. 
Um, we, we've read this back in chapter 1 when Paul sort of outlines his summary of the gospel. Uh, back in chapter 1, verse 3, Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us, to free us. That's what's happening on the cross, this freedom that's in the past. He has won our freedom fully, completely, and forever. It's all been done. There's nothing more to add to it. There's nothing more that you can add to it. There's nothing we can do. Uh, If you were here a few weeks ago, you might remember Mark's illustration of the Thai cave rescue last year. Uh, It was uh, a rescue and not an escape. This freedom is like that. It's not something that we can achieve. It's not our own escape. It's not even a partnership with God. You know, we do our bit and he does his. It's completely and from first to last utterly his. It's always only grace. And for Paul, that's the bedrock of everything. That's the basis of everything. Christ has set you free. But there is more that he wants to go on to say. There's more that Paul wants to go on to say. Uh, What Paul wants to highlight here, especially as we go through this passage, um, is that this freedom... It's, it's a freedom that is in the past. It's been done. It's a kind of an objective truth. But it's not only that. This freedom is something that overflows here and now, that shapes our life here and now. It's a freedom that has a purpose. Um, <clears throat> it's a freedom that has a purpose. Let me find my place again. Uh, we, we often talk about freedom, don't we? Uh, in a negative way. Freedom from things. Um, I can't think of the word freedom without uh, having the image of a uh, burly Scotsman with half his face, face painted blue, yelling out against the English, freedom! Uh, freedom from the tyranny of the English. Sorry, guys. Uh, <laughs> Um, But what Paul wants to highlight here is this freedom that we have in the gospel is not just freedom from something, it's freedom for something. It's freedom for something. And this is great, isn't it? It's a little bit strange, but it is wonderful. You can read it there in verse 1. The purpose for which we are set free is freedom. (laughs) Freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has has set you free. It is a bit strange, but I think what Paul's getting at here is uh, that the gospel is not just a way of becoming a Christian and then you kind of move on to deeper and better things. Um, Sometimes Christians can talk like that. Faith in Jesus is good. It's the way to become a Christian. But once you're in, then you've got to move on to better things, other, more deeper things. But what Paul's saying here is that the gospel of freedom is not just the ABC of the Christian life, it's the A to Z of the Christian life. Grace is the way to life, and it's the way of life. Grace is everything. The purpose of you being set free through the gospel is that you might live in that freedom more and more, in greater depth, with greater joy for the rest of your life. It's not 
anchored in you and in your experience. It's something that's completely separate from that, which is wonderful, and we'll reflect on that more later. It's such a sweet truth. It's not anchored in you, in your achievement, your effort, your experience, but it is given for you so that you might experience it, live in it more and more each day. That's its purpose. Uh, And Paul knows that these Galatian Christians are in serious danger of losing their way here. Uh, They're in danger of having been set free, going back under a yoke of slavery. That can happen all too easily, and again, we'll think more about some of the ways that it might happen to us later. Um, And Paul's got some pretty strong things to say about it. Uh, But before we kind of dive more deeply into what he says, we're going to do something a little bit different now. Uh, We're going to hear a testimony from someone who's uh, recently come to faith in Jesus among us. Uh, It's a really helpful thing to hear this, the way in which the gospel does bring real and lasting and true and deep freedom and changes lives. So I've asked Dale to come and share a little bit about his story. So uh, thank you, mate. If you could come on down. I might adjust this so it's a bit higher. Um, come on up, Dale. Um, Dale, um, mate, you've, um, it's been so encouraging to see the way God has been at work in your life. You've recently, just in the last year, come to faith in Jesus, come to know Jesus for the first time. Um, and so uh, what I, I thought might be just really helpful is to, uh, if you're able to share with us some of the ways in which that has, I guess, transformed your life and uh, brought you into an experience of freedom that um, you hadn't had before. So I'm going to hand over to you. Yeah. And um, thanks for that, mate. Thank you. Um, okay. Hi, everybody. <laughs> um, uh, I thought I'd start by sort of looking at the way my life was so that you can sort of then see where I've come to um, through Christ um, uh, and what it's meant for me uh, in my life. Um, so um, Duncan's mentioned that I... Um, uh, have become a Christian quite recently. It's, it's under 12 months ago that I came to um, know Jesus. And uh, so all of the rest of my life, I, I was without Jesus in my life. So um, uh, uh, I started off uh, as a child in a family that um, had no religion in it. Um, uh, and so much so that my parents uh, were quite silent on any sort of meaning in life, like they just lived their lives, the day-to-day, living in and out, going to work and doing doing the average stuff that everybody does. Um, but my inquiring mind was sort of going, well, what's going on here? What, what, what's the meaning behind all of this? And, uh, um, and uh, I was sort of left to myself to find out what that was. Um, and... I suppose in a modern sense, like um, uh, as Duncan was sort of indicating before, that's uh, the, the, the freedom of many possibilities in the world, you know, like there's, you, you can decide right down to the meaning of life for yourself, what, what, what's going on. And so I was sort of looking for that meaning, um, but um, it was, it was not, uh, there was no sense of freedom in that, there was a, actually a sense of tyranny in it because I, I, I was desperately in need of that meaning. I needed that meaning to uh, bring stability to my life, to bring comfort to my, my young heart. And uh, so um, these possibilities um, uh, 
and the, the freedom that is talked about in the modern world um, was actually not a good thing for me. Um, and so what I had to do was just fall back on my day-to-day -day experience of the world and um, uh, I sort of um, came under the, uh, the thrall of, um, uh, of what is just sort of um, self-evident experience. So, you know, like the sun comes up in the morning and the, it goes down in the evening and uh, like um, uh, we're here and we're in this world and, um, uh, and one main inevitability of that for me was my own death. Um, uh, it, was, it was there, it was out in, in front of me in the future and uh, it became, I developed a morbid fear of that death um, uh, and uh, I dwelt on it constantly, like it, uh, all through my teenage years and into my adulthood, up until quite recently, in truth. And um, uh, what sprung from that is that um, uh, uh, I was constantly anxious, I suffered from depression, um, uh, and uh, it affected me in, in many ways in my life, in the way I related to people, um, and so I tried to block that out. So I, I, I ran to alcohol. Um, I ran. I ran to. I, I was became a quite an addictive person. Um, I was moody. I would constantly spring to anger without, like, randomly, like I'd be quite happy, and then I'd all of a sudden be angry and frustrated and. This sort of, as I, you know, I progressed in life and I had my family and, and they had to deal with that. The people, my friends and family had to deal with that around, the friends and family around me had to deal with that and, um, uh, and it affected my parenting, um, which is something that I'm, I feel sort of deeply guilty about now and when I reflect on the way I behaved with my children in the past um, and the things I did. So... Um, so yes, so that 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 was that was my past. It was and and that was quite up to quite recently. And so I, I spent I spent my life looking for answers to those questions. It was a way to bring stability into my life, a way to um, uh, start behaving uh, in a decent way towards my friends and family. Um, and so, you know, I looked to religions, science. I looked to partying, travel. Uh, I looked to my family to solve my problems, you know, and, uh, and none, of those, uh, none of the answers were there for me. So um, I was sort of, I was enslaved by my, my, my own fears and anxiety and depression. Um, so then I came to church, this church, um, and something that I could only describe as a miracle happened to me because I came into the church and um, uh, this is getting on to about a year ago now and like Jesus essentially walked up to me and offered me his hand like he he reached out to me I, I was and he just came into my heart like I was affected first in my experience in my heart like I was just like oh my gosh, there's the real presence here for me. Like there's a real, there's somebody saying to me that they're there for me, you know, and uh, this was a totally transforming moment. For, um, uh, um, and so there was that first revelation, that, that first sense of knowing that Jesus was there. It was, it was a heartfelt thing 
But then I came to hear the message that was given in the church and the message of the cross. And um, uh, uh, the, the message says, said to me that Jesus loves me, that um, Jesus forgives me, um, and that he sacrificed himself for me. Um, uh, and this I knew in my heart was truth. And this was the thing I'd always been looking for, something to solidify my, my life, to bring truth into my life, not randomly select some truth, but to actually have the truth in my life. And, and Jesus was that person. Um, uh, and so, and because I'd spent a long life uh, searching, I ultimately came into this church like very broken and humbled. Like I was, I was, I, I was out of answers, out of way things to look for. And uh, so I, um, uh, I was ready to hear. And um, and when Jesus spoke to me directly. I heard that, and um, uh, and the biggest gift that he's given me is that he actually taught me how to love. For the first time in my life, I learned how to love. Like I wasn't, uh, I wasn't trying to run away from from life and living. I wasn't trying to run away from my death because I was I was given this deep, complete love from him, and that then started to come out of me, come out of me to, to those around me and uh, um, the anxiety and the fear and, and, and the depression that I'd lived with for my whole life started to fade away because it was being washed away by love. It was being washed away by Jesus' blood. Um, and so this was a very hard experience. This was a very emotional experience for me. Um, but being in the church, I came to also understand it in my mind, like I understood the truth as a, a real thing that you can think about and understand. And um, uh, uh, I realised that I was never, it was never intended that I should work out what the world was all about. Um, uh, <laughs> that was, it was getting beyond my job description, you know, like I'm, uh, uh, <laughs> um, uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't the one who works out how the universe works. Um, uh, and I, 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 don't, I wasn't even the one who decides whether I would live or die. Um, uh, um, uh, this is all God's domain. This is all the creator's domain. You know? And this was a, a mental activity for me. Like I was learning to know God both in my heart and in my mind. And uh, so like death ceased to become a truth for me. And... Um, uh, and living in Christ, trusting in God, um, uh, brought me to life in that. Um, so, yes, yeah, so in this, I, I, I'd, I'd sort of I'd found a real freedom. Like, this was the freedom that comes from dwelling in love. You know, and uh, it's it's not it's not the sort of like material freedom of options. You know, like it's the freedom that comes when you know um, that you're held, that you're loved, um, and uh, and it brings a deep stability to your life. And you and I felt like I was home. I was home for the first time in my life. I was in a place where which which. 
I sort of thought I knew what it was, but I, I didn't. I, I, and I now knew what that place was, and that was uh, dwelling in, in God. And uh, so... There's a, there's a free, there's a, there's the, the freedom of the mind that comes from uh, Jesus' love and there's a freedom of the mind, that, uh, the, the, there's a freedom of the heart that comes from Jesus' love and there's a freedom of the mind that comes from obedience to God. So he's the one who decides, he's created the world, he's, he's, he runs my life for me, he, 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 he puts things in perspective for me and he offers me that life through his son and uh, um, and he holds all the truth and and i'm an heir to that truth as a child of god uh, i'm an heir to the kingdom the freedom freedom is in the kingdom and uh and and this is the true freedom that i've found in jesus thank you I pray for Dale. I think I should do that now. That's, oh God, we thank you for uh, the, evident, the, the reality of your freedom. Thank you for giving new life to Dale and Salma and the family and bringing them among us. Thank you for um, this testimony of the liberation that comes through Jesus. We thank you um, for the encouragement that it is. We pray for all of us that you might work within us so that that might all our days be true of us too, uh, in increasing and uh, increasing depth and wonder. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, is it, wasn't that just spectacular to hear? Thank you again, mate. Um, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Um, there's lots to. Uh, think about in this passage isn't there there's so many things that come up the end of chapter four uh, especially there's some tricky things in there um, I'm, I'm not going to spend lots of time in that passage at the end of chapter four so uh, we can you can grab me later if there's things in there you want to um, talk about um, but what I, just very briefly I think what Paul's basically saying in that passage at the end of chapter four with Hagar and Sarah um, is that, that this freedom that comes through faith in what God has done, it's not a new thing. It's not a new way that God's working. It's actually been the way God has worked always, and it's God's plan from first to last. He goes back to this story of Abraham in, in the book of Genesis. Uh, Abraham had been given incredible promises by God um, uh, that he would become this great nation uh, and that through his offspring the world would be blessed. There was a problem, though. You know the problem uh, he didn't have any offspring, and he and his wife Sarah were uh, old. His wife Sarah was far too old to have a child, um, uh, and so you can feel this tension. Basically, as the story goes on, uh, they decide to take matters into their own hands. Time goes on and on. They don't have a baby, and so Sarah and Abraham, well, Sarah um, sort of initiates this and says to Abraham, um, have a child with my servant, uh, my maidservant. Uh, and in those days, that child would legally come under... Um, the uh, Abraham and Sarah, and and could be thought of as theirs. Um, uh, so there's there's some um, strange things in there. It makes you a bit uncomfortable. Um, uh, but the char char characters in Genesis here, they're not there as models of right living. 
Uh, the story of Genesis is a, a, the account of people who are sinful and selfish and dysfunctional who do incredibly destructive things. So this is not a model of behavior, uh, but who God still uses in his grace to bring about his good purposes. And God, if you read this story, God takes care of Hagar, who's been horribly mistreated. Um, but what's more, Paul's whole point here in Galatians is that what Abraham and Sarah did there was, actually, was wrong was a decision made, to use Paul's language, and you can see it there in verse 23, was a decision made according to the flesh, according to human expectations and standards. See, they, Abraham and Sarah had a choice. They could wait on God and trust in his promise that he would do what he had promised. Uh, or they could take efforts into their own hands. They could um, get a family through their own efforts. And that was the logical choice for them, Right? But it was the wrong choice. Um, Sarah did conceive, not by the flesh, but according to the mighty power of God, according to his promise. And Paul goes on to say that these, these two uh, women and their two sons, that come, and the sort of line that come, come after them, they represent two covenants, two ways of relating to God. One that relies on human effort, and one that rests and trusts in God's work, his effort, his promise. Uh, and to go the way Abraham went with Hagar, to rely on human effort in your relationship with God, is actually to be a slave. But to be in Sarah's family tree, to be one of her children, is to exist completely and entirely as the gracious, miraculous work of God. Faith in the promise of God, trust in his work and not in our own, that's real freedom. That's the way God's always worked. And in faith in Jesus, faith alone, that makes you a true spiritual descendant of Abraham and makes you truly free. There's lots more in there. Uh, we don't have time to go in there. I really want to focus on the rest of, uh, the rest of our time in chapter 5. Paul goes into the, in there to what it, look, what it means to live this life of freedom, what it means to live it out. How are these Galatians to live the freedom that is already theirs in Christ? You see it there in verse 1, Paul's first urging there, Stand firm then, and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. See the picture here? It's a really defensive one. Stand firm. Watch out. Be on your guard for what will take you away from this good news of freedom, this good news of grace. The specific issue for the Galatians was the issue of circumcision. We've sort of mentioned it along the way through the letter. It really comes into focus here, though. Uh, uh, there were people in the Galatian church teaching that faith in Jesus was good, um, it was even necessary, but what you really needed was to do it was to, what you really needed to be a real member of God's family was to adopt the Jewish law and be circumcised. Uh, and you, listen to how Paul responds to that in verse two. He says, "If you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all." Wow, that's pretty strong. We, we mentioned at the start, he gets even stronger against these people who are teaching this. He's, he sees this as such an important issue. 
Now, blokes, just in case you're squirming in your seats, maybe you've been circumcised and you wonder if you can't be a Christian. No, that's not what's going on. Uh, The issue is not whether you're circumcised or not, really. Uh, It's whether you think circumcision has any spiritual value, whether it makes you more pleasing to God or not. Paul says, no, no, absolutely not. And Paul takes this so seriously. um, You can feel how worked up he is. Uh, Christ will be of no value to you. To cut off that skin in some attempt to make yourself more pleasing to God actually cuts you off from him. You've fallen away from grace, he says. And he ends this, the passage in that really, one of the most graphic kind of lines in the Bible, writes, he wishes those teaching this would slip the knife on themselves, go the whole way. And Paul isn't just being crass there. He wants us to know how serious this is. This isn't just some abstract theological discussion. Legalism, the adding of extra things onto the gospel... It's so common, it's so deeply embedded in our fallen human heart. But Paul says, if you're going to live in the freedom of Christ, you need to stand firm against that. Because what it shows, when we do that, when we, when we say, Jesus, yes, but also in order to be right with God, when, when, do you see what, what's happening when you do that? Uh, What it shows is you don't actually think what Jesus did on the cross was enough. It's good. It might even be the right starting point. But to really go on as a Christian, to really be right with God, what Jesus did on the cross is not enough. And it can look really pious, but it is actually deeply dishonouring to Christ and to the fullness of what he has achieved on the cross. So Paul says, stand firm. Most likely our issue is not circumcision, although um, there are movements out there that will want to convince you that to be right with God, you do need Jesus, but you also need to be included under a Jewish identity. Um, So this, I think, applies directly there. But really at the heart of this is that deeper issue to do with our deep and sinful desire to add something of ourselves, our efforts, into the gospel It can be really easy for church systems and cultures to emerge that say something like this, I think. You do need faith in Jesus, but you also need to take part in our special ceremonies, observe our special days. Uh, You really need to have our special spiritual experience. That's when you'll know you're really right with God. You, You really need to meet in our special buildings and approach God through our special people. You need to raise your kids in our special way. Uh, You really need to take on our political views or our social causes if you're going to be right with God. And you see, all of that says that faith in Jesus is not enough. What he did on the cross is not enough. What you really need is something more. And people get seriously damaged by this. At its most extreme, it's how cults start. Uh, this whole comprehensive system of rules about who's in and who's out. I heard from a, um, just this morning actually, from a pastor I know in New Zealand who's just this week found out um, that there's been a cult actively trying to infiltrate his church for the last year. Um, uh, And their message is that they alone have the really secret knowledge. 
uh, uh, the, 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 they alone have the, the right way to the, the way to be right with God, and it's been incredibly destructive. Um, so it, you know, uh, we shouldn't be <laughs> naive about that. But even on a lower level, this kind of adding to the gospel is still really damaging. It often happens when we take things that aren't central, that aren't the gospel, and we make them central. <laughs> So that every, everything becomes a core issue. Uh, we try to have a really strong core. Sound like my physio. Um, you've got to have a strong core, and then everything else sort of falls off that. Um, we try to have a really strong core here, to be really firm on central things. You can't be a member here unless you believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus from the dead, or in the Trinity, the intoning work of Jesus. So there's a number of other, You can find this in our statement of faith, which is a, an attempt to articulate... Um, what you need to say yes to in order to have true saving faith in Jesus. Uh, but there's a whole set of secondary issues that are, that are important. <laughs> they are important, but they're not the gospel. Uh, things like when and how you baptise someone, or when and how you take communion, uh, whether or not you observe special seasons, whether you set aside one day as more special than another, um, it's one thing to have opinion, opinions on these, and we need to. Uh, churches need to have thought through positions on them. And we do, and we ask our leaders to, su- to support those. But they must never be added to the gospel. They must never become Jesus plus in order to be right with God. And you might... I, it's just an observation, really. One of the dangers... When we do this, when we say Jesus plus, is that the plus tends to get the spotlight. I don't know if you've... I, I think I've noticed this. Um, what do you need to feel okay with God? Jesus plus an incredible worship experience. The experience can easily take center stage, not the cross of Christ. Jesus plus a particular interpretation of Genesis 1 or of the millennium in Revelation... Uh, it's interesting, one of the things that this cult in New Zealand, um, they were saying is there's this figure of 144,000 people in Revelation, that, which they understood literally to mean, and th- that was the number of their group. Uh, so you had to be, that was talking about them. Um, you, you do that and every, everything comes back to that issue, not to faith in the cross of Christ. Jesus plus the Lord's Supper the Lord's Supper can almost become a magical ritual that somehow in the activity of it actually connects you to God. Paul is saying here that when it comes to our justification, those other things are important and we need to think through them and have positions on them, but when it comes to your being right with God, your justification to your freedom and your peace with God, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. And to add things in is a quick road back to slavery, to the restless anxiety that you've never done quite enough. Okay, well, there's some thoughts there. How How do you enjoy this freedom that is yours in Christ? Paul says, stand firm in the faith of the gospel. Look back at the finished work of Christ. Look back at that as the foundation of your life. Not anything that you do, but what he has done. 
Stand in God's grace. Stand in the liberating truth that it's through faith alone that we are made right with God. But there is more here that Paul wants wants us to hear about what it looks like to live in this freedom. We stand and we look back at the cross. Um, But Paul wants us to sort of cast our eyes forward as well. He wants us to cast our eyes forward. This freedom that's been, been won in the past at the cross, it guarantees for us an incredible hope for the future. That's, uh, you see that in verse 5. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. Uh, God declares us righteous the moment that we put our trust in Jesus. Uh, in him we are righteous because he is righteous. Uh, but there's a tension, isn't there? It comes because in our present experience, I mean, you know, you know your own unrighteousness, or you ought to. You're, you know that tension between that truth and the reality of your life here and now. God is at work transforming us more and more, and more on that next week. Um, but he promises a future where everyone who trusts Jesus will be perfectly, fully righteous, not only by faith in Christ, but in their own, fully in their experience. When what is ours now by faith will be ours by sight. And the Spirit of God, Paul says, ignites our hearts with a yearning for that day, with a hope for that day, I hope in the hope in the Bible is not a weak hope. You know, I, I hope I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. Uh, I, I looked at the forecast; it probably will, but I hope I still hope it doesn't. Uh, that's not the kind of hope that we're talking about here. This kind of hope is absolutely certain. It's not a vague hope. It's guaranteed. It is secured. It's secured by the past fact of Jesus' resurrection, and it's given to us in the reliable testimony of the apostles that we have in the Bible. So we look back at the cross by faith and we look forward to this coming, this promised future of complete righteousness. And when you are freed by the gospel, these two things become the truest realities of your life. Those two things... And to live in the freedom that is yours in Christ, to, to not only be free, but to let that freedom work its purpose within you. For freedom, Christ has set you free. To live in the freedom that is yours in Christ means to live your life anchored in them, in these realities. Uh, you can live your life anchored in, in your own yesterday and looking ahead to your own tomorrow. Most of us do. Actually, that's kind of... Aaron Pulse, um, you can live your life anchored in your own yesterday and your own tomorrow, your yesterday with all its regrets and sins, with all its false pride and achievements, with all its pain and the damage that's been done to you. You can live your life anchored in your own yesterday. Uh, you can live your life looking forward to your own tomorrow with all its anxieties and all its uncertainties, with its tempting promise of self-focused glory, 
all the ways you could make a name for yourself. So uh, that's kind of so often what we do, isn't it? We live in our own, we live anchored in yesterday, we live with our eyes on our own tomorrow. But can you see how the gospel invites you into freedom from that? A freedom from both the foolish pride of living by your works, your achievements, and from the despair of living by your failures and your hurts. To live like that is slavery. But here is a far greater, more secure, more liberating yesterday to anchor your life in. Uh, Paul says at the end of chapter 2, this is how he puts it, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Jesus Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me. Do you notice how he says loved me? It doesn't say who loves me in some sort of vague way, although that's, I mean, it's true, he loves me now. But Paul wants us to know this past objective reality. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me concretely once and for all at the cross and gave himself for me. There's a yesterday to build your life upon. And here is a far more wonderful and bright and certain tomorrow. Through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. That's a tomorrow to set your compass by. Not the uncertain tomorrow of your own life. Well, there's one more aspect of living in Christ's freedom that Paul highlights here. Uh, The gospel shapes not just our past, it gives us a new yesterday and it gives us a new tomorrow. But what I want to finish on here is to just reflect on the way in which Paul shows that it gives us a new today as well. Uh, It shapes us in the present. Um, Paul says in verse 7, you can see there, that the Galatians were running well. Uh, They were running well before um, they were living now, shaped by this gospel of freedom before they were led off course by false teaching. What does running well look like? I think that's what Paul is saying just in the previous verse, in verse 6, in this really um, incredible verse, isn't it? For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. You see what's going on here? Faith looks back at the cross. Hope looks forward to God's promised future. But what does it mean for us if we've got those two things as the defining realities of our life? What does, it, what does that mean for us today? And Paul's one-word summary of that is love. Love. Uh, Paul often uses these three, these these three characteristics. I guess uh, faith, hope, and love. He often uses that as a way to 
really to describe the Christian life, the, a summary, a snapshot of the whole Christian life. Um, and do you see how faith, this faith and this hope actually can liberate you to love today? Uh, what keeps you from love? Well, I would probably, this maybe this may just be me, but I suspect um, some of this will resonate with all of us. Uh, your past experiences of being hurt, um, your past experiences of your attempts of love being rejected, or your future anxieties about protecting yourself, about not making yourself vulnerable so you won't get hurt again. What if you didn't live in your yesterday and your tomorrow? <laughs> what if you lived... What if your past was anchored in the cross of Christ by the overwhelming love of God for you who didn't deserve it, who rejected him, but who he continued to love and love even to the death of his son, Jesus? What if your future was not your tomorrow? But what if your future was straining towards the certain hope of complete righteousness, fullness, joy, peace, life. Can you see how that would free you from your slavery to yourself here and now? Free you to freely give yourself in love. Um, that, Paul says, is what counts. That is what will last. Uh, Paul's going to go on, and we'll reflect on this in the rest of this chapter next week. Um, Paul's going to go on to fill out what this love looks like, to give it some texture of what living in the Spirit here and now looks like. Um, so more on that <laughs> next week, but... Uh, these three things are the bedrock, faith, hope, love. And what I want to finish on is just a, a quote with a quote, and then, sorry, not, I, I shouldn't say I want to finish and then not finish. I'm going to give you a quote and then I'm going to finish. Um, uh, this is a quote from just an outstanding book. It was written by Martin Luther 500 years ago called The Freedom of a Christian. It's small, easy to read, um, uh, please get it and read it. <laughs> you can read it on, free online if you want, find it. It's called The Freedom of a Christian. And here's, here's how Luther puts it. It should be up on the screen. This is a truly Christian life. Here is faith, uh, here faith is truly active through love. That is, it finds expression in the works of freest service, cheerfully and lovingly done, with which a man or a woman willingly serves another without hope of reward, and for himself he is satisfied with the fullness and wealth of his faith. You have fullness and wealth anchored at the cross and secured for you in the hope of the gospel, and so you can give yourself in love like that. So how free are you, friends? How free are you? 
Well, every believer in Jesus has a simple and constant answer to that question. How free are you? I am free. Completely, totally, fully secured at the cross. How free are you? You are free if you are a believer in Jesus. Uh, If you have not yet put your trust in Jesus, and like Dale, you know the burden of life, then today that freedom is offered to you. That is your answer. I am free. And if you, if you answer that, yes, I trust Jesus, and therefore I, I am free. It's not anchored in myself. It's anchored at the cross, yes. The next question Paul wants us to go away with today is how is this freedom shaping your life today? Because it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Well, here's the apostles urging for how to do that. Stand firm in the faith of the gospel. That is yours, the grace that is yours by faith alone. Don't let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Anchor yourselves, not in what you do, but in what Jesus has done. Stand firm in that. Yield yourselves to the Spirit's great work of igniting within you a deep longing for the righteousness for which we hope. Set your hearts on that great future which will shine over your tomorrow. And in the freedom and security of those two great realities, work your faith out here and now in these works of the freest service, cheerfully and lovingly done, without hope of reward, being satisfied in the fullness and wealth of your faith. Can I pray for us that we might do that? Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you that in Jesus you have set us free. We thank you that that is a truth. Sometimes uh, it's something that we only know by faith, but it is true. And if we are trusting Jesus, it's the truest thing about us. That we are your children and that you have set us free. We thank you for the hope of righteousness that is ours. And we pray that your spirit might so work deeply within each of us that as we look ahead in our own lives, we might not have it dominated by tomorrow, by our tomorrow, but by your great tomorrow, by your coming future. And Father, please, in the security of that, teach us to love each other, um, not out of obligation, not out of fear, Um, Teach us to love in the security of your great love for us. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.